Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to Face of the Business. We're back. We went live before and something snafued in the software, so we, we set up another event. We're back in here. I'm happy to be here today. I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about understanding your ideal customers with Tom Her Herman from Veda Intel. Tom, welcome for being or Thank you for being here today. First of all, God, I'm, I'm all messed up from that little snafu. Hey, that's all right. Yeah. Thank you, Damon, for having me on the show. I'm excited. Oh, this is going to be fun because I'll tell you what, if there's anything that, that I understand, it's how little we really know about our customers. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Tom, let's talk a little bit. First First of all, let's talk about your background because you've been in market research and doing this a long time, different companies. And so what's what really got you interested in this? You know, I, I think I thought about that. And, you know, I, I was the curious kid growing up, much to my uh, parents. You know, they were uh, probably upset with me a lot for asking why all the time. But I, I needed mm -hmm. to know what, you know, why things happened the way they did and all that. So uh, I was always that kind of kid and then got into college and took a class called economic geography, which was this, you know, just a, an elective that I didn't think much of. I thought it yeah. was just something I had to check off. And it was the most amazing class in that it, it combined all these different aspects of what makes the world work, which is, um, you know, economics, you know, business and mm -hmm. sociology and, and anthropology even and, and uh, psychology. It brought everything together to, to really explain to me, or at least in my mind, how things worked across the world and, and why things were the way they were. And that just kind of opened up my mind to, you know, business and, and economics and all different things like that. And I ended up going to graduate school for research. And my first job out of uh, grad school was working for a publicly traded retailer here in central New York doing store location research. So my job was to analyze locations for retail stores, which um, included coming up with a sales forecast that I had to defend in front of a real estate committee, which included all the you know shareholders of the company. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, pretty terrifying for a, you know, mid 20 year old kid. Yeah. Um, but the sales forecast was the basis for the go, no go decision. Mm -hmm. And if it was a go, it was several million dollars of investment between the store build, the inventory and the staffing. So you know, it was uh, an eye-opening experience and, and, and probably the, the best first job that I could have ever hoped for. And it, yeah. it set the stage for the rest of my career where, you know, my role has always been supporting decisions and strategies with information. So all, all for the purpose of reducing risk and maximizing return. So, you know, it's really, uh, it's been a career of, you know, 30 plus years at this point. And I, 
I feel really fortunate. I, you know, a lot of friends that I know, you know, went to college and then ended up doing something that they didn't really love. And I can't say that I, I everything that I've done in my career, I've, I've just been so happy to do. And that's awesome. And it's been great. Yeah. So and, and awesome. also along the way, I've, I started a couple of companies. So I, I've been an entrepreneur as well. And, and I am, am now obviously. So uh, it, it's been, it, it's been a really fun ride for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So a master's in analytical geography, that's, it's a, you don't hear that often. That's cool. Yeah. And in fact, the, where I went to college, Binghamton University, the, my professor, my advisor was very well known in the retail geography um, world. And that's, he was okay. instrumental in, in me getting my first job because he, he knew the, the, the company and the person that hired me. So oh. I had his recommendation to get that job. So just, you know, a, a bit of great luck and, and good timing, I guess, which mm -hmm. I guess everybody needs. Yeah, you, you get that. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> but it's the hard work after that is what keeps you in it. But yeah. you, you brought up store location research. That's That was, you know, if you look across time in the U.S. at uh, some of the great expansions, whether it's yeah. a Walmart, which everybody sees and then walmart within the walmart it's walmart itself with the different size of for store formats or you look at now in the news we talk about the kroger slash what is it albertson's merger they're talking about you know or cvs or walgreens or the dollar stores this happens in industry in retail industries like this you know, it does. It could be some that are gone now, the blockbusters, the Toys R Us's or uh, or Sears or something like that, or just, you know, about anything, isn't it? Really, just that that location and understanding that in retail is a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, we've seen retailers, you know, go under, but they had great real estate. So they, you know, they, they do have that asset that yeah. is, is marketable after the fact. And yeah. Especially for the retailers that own their own real estate, it, it can be, you know, some sort of a consolation, I suppose, at the end of the day, if they yeah. chose great real estate, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's one of the things, too, is it uh, is you had to defend the sales projections that that had to be, like you said, at your age at that time, that had to be an interesting thing to be able to do. Yeah. Because you, you not not just the number, but how you arrived at the number, which yes. means talking about the competition, talking about the size of the trade area you defined for it, and why did you define the trade area the way you did? Because if you get that wrong, then everything trickles down from that is wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it was it was scary. It it took a while to get comfortable and not you know have anxiety attacks every every day. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what what then? As you as you went along, what really prompted you to go out and form Veda? Well, this is my second market research company. The first one I, I started in uh, right around 2000 with a, a good friend of mine, and um, he still runs that company. I, I left it to go to do something else, but that was a, a general market that is a general market research firm, mm -hmm. and. Over my career, the, the one thing that I've noticed over and over is that leaders don't know their customers as well as they think they do, and certainly not as well as they should know them. So I really wanted a company that focused on the customer first and foremost. 
and set aside the location research from my past, set aside the feasibility study work and, and other types of market research that I've done in, in, in my past and really focus on the customer because I think that's the okay. one big thing that every company has to get right. And if you get that right, everything else becomes a little bit easier. If you get it wrong, everything else becomes a lot harder. So Veda Intel's mission is to help companies understand their ideal customers better so that they can serve them better. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the idea behind it. And so there's really only three things that, that the company focuses on. First and foremost, customer research, understanding the company's ideal customer, and then win-loss analysis, which is helping companies understand why they win business and why they lose business so that they can win more and lose less. And the third thing is competitive analysis, because you need to understand the market you're operating in and the competition you're facing and where you stack up in that hierarchy of competition and how you stand out, most importantly. So yeah. um, those are the three things we focus on. But the first the first thing, the foundation of all of it is is the customer understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So this is cool. And yeah, because if you get that right, like you said, a lot of other things get easier. Easier. <laughs> Maybe not easy, but easier. Yeah. 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 So when you're, when you're doing customer research, um, is this something that's usually like a, a one-time thing and you're out and doing this, or is it something like people want to research the customer and they research certain aspects today and we maybe go back and search different aspects tomorrow? I, explain this a little bit more, some of the typical kind of things that you're doing around customer research. Yeah. So ideally it's, it's a continuous process. Okay. It's, it's not a one, a one and done type thing, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And you know, the place that I always recommend starting is, is getting your ideal customer profile nailed down as, as in as much detail as you possibly can. Um, but you're right. It, it's something that needs to be done over time because things are always changing. You know, mm -hmm. you, you really need to be doing this, consistently over time. So, um, and that, that can take lots of different forms. The ideal customer profile is one thing, but you can have a customer feedback program where after every sale, you're sending out, you know, a, a survey of some sort where you're, you're gathering feedback. Yeah. There's lots of different ways you can do it, but you have to start somewhere. And unfortunately, most companies really don't have that foundation of customer knowledge that they need to have in place um, to support their operations. So th that's really the place to start. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things I noticed as I was, I was going through your website, you made the, you make the point of how I'm going to get to that spot. It's, it's how it helps across the organization. Can you, can you talk about that? Because everybody thinks about customer research and they think about sales. And that's important, right? Yeah. But yeah, talk about the organization overall. Yeah, very true. So most people associate customer research with marketing and, and, and sales, but it really affects every area of the company just about. If you think about it, how do you serve your customer well if you don't know them well? You know, so it comes down to you know, not just marketing and sales, but customer service, product development, strategic planning. I mean, it's really a such an important aspect of what a company does mm -hmm. that if you don't have that right. So 
I call it customer clarity is, is what I refer to. Customer yep. clarity is understanding who your ideal customers are, what makes them tick, and why they buy, why they behave the way they do, and, and most importantly, why do they buy from you and remain loyal to you? If you know those things, again, things get a little bit easier. If you don't know those things, to me, it's a red flag because not having that information is going to cause problems downstream that will create organizational stress. So you're going to have um, your marketing department arguing amongst themselves about who, you know, what are we supposed to be saying to our customer? Who is our customer? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's the right you know, approach? What's, what strategies and tactics should we be using? It, that's like the worst thing you want as a leader of an organization is to have, you know, that type of misalignment internally over, you know, the, who the ideal customer is and how are we pursuing them and servicing them? So it's really something that, you know, I, I, I say this, I don't, don't mean it to be harsh, but it, it's really a leadership issue um, because leaders, you know, a leader's main job is to create a vision for the company and then support mm-hmm. the team in achieving that vision. And that includes doing, uh, providing the team with the resources they need to do their job to get to that vision. And one key component is customer intelligence that's necessary to support that effort. And if that if the team doesn't have that customer intelligence, then that's a bit of a leadership, you know, failure really. So you, know, you really want to give your team the best chance of reaching the vision that you've set for, for your team. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. First of all, that's awesome because it is a leadership thing. It is because if that leader can understand that, have that customer clarity, I love that, that phrase. It has the customer clarity when they're thinking about the vision, they can consider the customer much more fully and, and uh, develop a lot better vision overall. Right. Yeah. Ideally you have the the customer work done in conjunction with creating your vision for sure. So yeah, Yeah. that's something. So what's some, no, first of all, what are some of the uses that you've seen of, of this data that people wouldn't think about? They were like, okay, that's cool. I never thought of using my customer data like that, my customer research data and, and those kind of things. I think that the most fundamental use is to really understand what problem you're solving for your customer okay. in their language. So it's one thing to say, we make this thing and it does this, it serves this purpose, but it does more than that for your customer. It solves a problem. It, it makes their life or their job easier. And, and you got to understand that because that way you'll be able to communicate that to them so that they really, so it resonates with them. I think that's, that's a big one that I think is, is missed a lot. I mean, you look at websites yeah. of, of a lot of companies and it's really clear that they don't know, or if they do, they're not, they're not using it to their benefit. They it appears that they don't know what, their product means for their customer to their customer. So, you know, it, again, if you, I can pull up a bunch of websites just randomly and, and see what they're saying and, and have a good sense of do these, you know, do they really know who their customer is and do they know what their product means to that customer in their language? It's, yeah, it's rare that a company is using their customer's language effectively uh, when, when they really should be. 
two other great points there you just made that that I was thinking about as I was, I was processing that. that you know with that knowledge that it can explain the big picture problem because it's not like you know I have a you know if I'm making a an airless painter that I can make the homeowner be able to paint their house that much faster if they want to or something like that but it's it's about creating a beautiful living environment or however that customer decides right that they feel because of the product or service that they're getting. Yeah, exactly. You go to a airless paint website and it says, you know, the world's greatest airless paint brushes or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Congratulations. But that doesn't tell the user or the, the, the consumer of that product, what that means to them in terms of making their life easier, allowing them to do a do, do it yourself project that otherwise would have been out of reach, whatever, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's, yeah, it's kind yeah. of a miss if you're talking about your product versus what it does for the customer. Yes. And then you said in the words they use, because yeah. people in a certain industry use acronyms and lingo and other things. Their customers may not even under what understand what they're saying. Uh, and they com completely describe it completely differently with different words. That's yeah. really yeah. yeah, you see that a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a common one. Yep. Well, especially in technical kind of things, because you can talk about the, you know, failure mode stress rate of a bolt or something. And you can just say, right. look, and this holds 6,000 pounds. Those are the two different, it's the same way of saying different, the same thing, different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. Well, if your customer is an engineer, that technical language might be perfect. But you need to know. You just need yeah. to know who your customer is. That, that just comes back to knowing who your customer is. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. That's good stuff. Good stuff. So, what are some, I mean, is this some stuff that you do like a before and after too? Or are these kind of things that over time you want to see how the markets or the how the customer's viewpoint around your product is changing or? What are some of kind of the before after examples of how you use customer data? No, you're, you're right. So definitely you want to do uh, periodic check-ins with customers to see you know, how things are going. So that that's, you know, that that's a, a standard approach. So yeah, I, I kind of through your earlier question, is this a one and done type thing? It really isn't because, you know, customers are changing, the market's changing customer behaviors and habits are changing and competitors, you know, come into the market from time to time. So, you know, I think customers are bombarded with other options all the time. So you need to keep in touch with your customers to find out you know, what, what they're thinking and, and how they're behaving for sure. Yes. So are your customers that you're working with, are they usually like product-based customers? Cause I, I envision this. And the reason I asked, because I envision, yes, I can make that airless paint sprayer. But I, I could also be supplying something to the, the oil production industry across the globe into the, the five biggest producers in the world. And I have tens of millions of dollars in each account every single year that I don't want to lose. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I work with pretty broad range of companies, B2B and B2C. And, uh -huh. you know, so it's, it's kind of you know, it's true that they all need this information from, you know, who they're you know, about, who their customers are. So yeah, yeah, it, it does, uh, it applies in pretty much every situation where someone's yeah. selling something to somebody. Yeah. 
Well, because exactly because I was thinking of that same same company. I'm selling the airless paint sprayer. I can sell you know five million of those a year, and I've got a lot of different customers there. But I can also have similar customer challenges if I'm a B2B supplier, like I said, in the oil field. Just say in the oil field industry, and and I supply the the five major oil producers or however many they are with you know it could be fifty or hundred million dollars worth of stuff each every year. But I have how many people in each company that I'm dealing with across the organization to really understand that in each one of those companies. It's almost like you you could have multiple customer subsets that you really have to keep track of because it could mean hundreds of millions of dollars in sales for you. No, you're 100% right. In, in some B2B situations, you have multiple you know, decision makers or different divisions. Yeah. yeah. So when I say customer... You can't think of an individual person necessarily. Sometimes, sometimes it depends on the the situation, but yeah, sometimes it's pretty complex. Yeah, yeah, that's for yep. sure. That's for sure. Cool, good stuff. So, what are some interesting situations that you've been in and tried to give people information to solve that you just we wouldn't think of? Uh, I'm trying to think. So recently, this was, uh, I'm not sure if this is exactly the example, but, um, a company reached out to me and they created a, a piece of software and was convinced it was going to change the industry. And it, it really is cool. It really is. But they were pitching it to the wrong market and, and they oh. didn't recognize it at first. I, I had a suspicion that that might be the case just based on everything that I was told and, and what I saw. And we proved that to be true. So the, it wasn't a product issue. It was a, a positioning and, you know, sales issue, really. They were, they were pitching it to the end user who really didn't want another piece of software to have to learn and adapt to. Uh, but the benefits of it were really great for the the company, for the leader of the company, leadership of the company, because it, and the sales leadership, because it really did help boost sales and drive sales. So it was really a, a situation where the benefit was not properly understood mm -hmm. and pitched to the person who would see that as a benefit. So yeah. that was an interesting eye-opening uh, situation where things change quickly once they realize that, wait a second, we need to be pitching this to the decision or the decision makers, actually the leader of the company who sees the value in this and will then tell his marketing and tech team, Hey, this is why we need to pursue this product. And, you know, I'm sorry, it's extra work or, or here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to take this off your plate and, and replace uh -huh. it with this, that sort of thing. So that was that was an interesting one for sure. Well, that is that's a really good a really good use of that information, and it's critical critical because you could be out there trying to sell to, um, you know, if you're in something in to say something around building products, right? You're selling yep. building products, and you're trying to out there trying to sell the contractors or something or large contractors, whatever it might be, but really you should be selling into the building supply distributors. That's a, 
that's that's a faux pas that could really screw things up because it's a drastically different marketing, different sales approach, different everything that you could waste tens of millions of dollars pretty quickly. Yeah, this this company spent about a year going down the wrong path and it cost them a lot of time for sure and, and probably a bunch of money. I, I don't know exactly how much. Yeah. But yeah. Now they're you know going in the right direction. So that's something yeah. that's something to get things going in the right direction. So what are some of the the um, interesting things that you're learning happening in the markets and happening that that you you're uncovering with some of your clients that you're like, I would have never thought or this is really interesting kind of that's going on. Uh, gosh, I, I really don't know if, uh, in terms of like trends and such, I, I really don't, I, I approach every project, every client with, you know, just wonder of, you know, I, I love to find mm -hmm. out, uh, exactly who their customers are and, and, and why they behave the way they do. So for me, that's the joy in all this is, is getting that information and delivering it to the client so that they can say, holy cow, this is great. Yeah. And not to mention, not just them, but their entire team, because the, the idea of, of doing this work is, is so that it's shared throughout a company, you know, kind of top to bottom, side to side, so that everyone's on the same page. And that doesn't always happen in market research where mm -hmm. a, a leader commissions a study and it ends up maybe being shared amongst a couple of top leaders and it doesn't go anywhere. The point of what I do is, is so that it is shared so that everyone's on the same page so that it's actually actionable. So yeah, that, that's the thing that really excites me is, is making a difference, you know, across an entire company. Well, you're right. Like you said before, it could affect customer service. It could be, affect future engineering products. It could affect uh, ideas of, of, of how we actually deliver the product to the end customer. Uh, it just, instructions needed for the there's just so many different things across products or services that this data like you had talked before like you mentioned back looking at your your website really affects each piece of the organization yeah it really does it's it's hard to effectively operate each area of a company if you don't have a, a solid understanding of the customer yeah. that you're serving it's yeah it's, it's so fundamental yet it's it's just overlooked or not really addressed just because of all the other pressures that are mm -hmm. happening within a company. And, but it's, it's so fundamental. Yeah. Do you think that people are because of the need uh, to better understand customers and the demand that customers know you better, that this kind of research is getting more a normal part of business? Uh, I would say yes for larger companies, but mm -hmm. for small and even mid-sized companies, it, it's still there's still so much work to do. Yeah, uh, the, the largest companies do a pretty good job at this, as you can imagine, but yeah, it, it just doesn't seem to be uh, addressed as well in smaller companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, as these demands get higher and higher, I'm sure that that will change because it just really. It's, it's almost more critical at the smaller company level to spend the money wisely that they're going to spend on on any efforts across the board in their organization than, than it is at a larger and a larger, say, publicly traded organization, yeah. which can can generate cash to do this kind of stuff much easier and at much lower cost. So it yeah. I can understand why it's the way it is. 
but I'm not so sure that we shouldn't flop the flop the table upside down on that and go, hey, you're a smaller company. You should do this even more than a bigger company. No, that's exactly right. What you said is exactly right. Smaller companies can't afford to, to waste money. They can't yeah. afford to be wrong. It, yeah. It's, they're not going to last long if they're wrong. <laughs> so, well, yeah. 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 And, you know, and if it, it's, it's like something, if you're limited, you know, say I want to, I want to do advertising or I want to develop a new product. I don't have three shots at it. You know, yeah. you're, you're more like, you're more like Elon Musk and SpaceX. We drop down this much money. And if we don't get out of the, get out of orbit with it, we're done, you know? Yeah. No, and, we, we see it all the time where you have a company spending 10, 15, 20,000 a month on advertising and they don't have a real strong grasp of their ideal customer. They don't know, you know who they are. They don't know what to say to them. They don't know where to find them. And yet they're spending all this money. All they would need to do is just pause for 45 days or, or that's mm -hmm. what our arc process takes. Get the information you need and then the, go, go back to what you were doing and either be way more effective at the same amount of, of spend or spend less and, and be more effective. It's just... It, it makes it just it's funny how not funny it's sad to see companies spending money because they have to they know they need to spend x percent of their budget on advertising yet they don't spend a fraction of that to do the research that allows them to really do it better let's just take a moment to think about that and just let that <laughs> sink into people a minute because you just hit a hit a, hit a nerve that that just brought up a whole different thing because you're right it, it's we we talk about this and we spend tens and hundreds and millions of dollars a year on say our our marketing and we could be saying the wrong thing to the wrong people and and even if we're pretty good at it how much more effective would your spend be if you said more of the right things to more of the right people or the That's same true. audience, more the yeah. the same audience. Exactly. Yep. Because everyone talks about when you look at when you look at selling products anyway, you look at e-commerce. We talk about if you can convert at a higher rate. That's almost like the panacea because I don't have to find more customers. I just have to convert more of them into customers. And what you're saying with the data and the research and being able to speak their language and, and better to the right people, the right words, all that, you should be able to increase your conversion rate on the kind of your activities, your return on your effort. Yeah, hundred percent. And the other piece of this is retention. So the better you understand your customers, the better chance you'll have to retain them. And that's, that's the other thing that's often overlooked. Everyone's, chasing after the new customer, you know, the exciting new customer, yeah. which is great. You got to do that, but you can't forget about the existing loyal customers that you have. You can't ignore them because if you do, you'll lose them at some point. So you really well, need it, to be focused there as well. Yeah. And this has really come up. I know in the, in the e-commerce space where we operate in the last several years, we rode the, the e-commerce companies rode the demand up as, as COVID people were just, they were buying more on e-commerce, but, as that also drove higher advertising costs, the lifetime value of a customer became more and more important because if my lifetime value of my customer was that one-time purchase, 
I'm, I'm, I might only have a, you know, might only be 50 or hundred bucks or 500 bucks, whatever the kind of product is. Mm -hmm. And, but if I can turn that into two, three, four times that my advertising dollar at the beginning, the cost of acquisition doesn't have to change, but my profitability on that cost of acquisition has gotten so much better. Yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah. It's, you know, lifetime value is huge. And to the extent that you can keep your customers happy and know exactly what they want and how they want to be served. Yeah. You're going to build your lifetime value. And, and that's just, is profitability is what that is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So what are you excited about in terms of customer research looking forward? You know, I, I think just getting the word out is important to me. I, I mm -hmm. think that it just seems just from you know, being on LinkedIn and, and spreading the word, there's a lot of people that are interested in and understand the value of customer research. And I'm excited about that because the way I see it is first and foremost, I want to get the word out to explain to, to leaders that this is something you need to be doing for the good of your company. And I consider it a win to get that message out, whether people work with me or not, there'll be enough people that do. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it's a win to just get that out there and hopefully have leaders take action and provide their team with the information they need to, to better serve their customers, to acquire new good customers, ideal customers, and keep the ones that they have and improve the strength and sustainability of their company. So that, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So the, the, uh, yeah. So you talked, we're talking, been talking a lot about customer research. I will, I, we're getting, we're getting closer to time here, but I do, I do want to talk a little bit about competitive analysis because I like, I like that. I think it's, I think it's an interesting subject and I've got some general questions though. And the competitive analysis that you do, do you usually find that we don't know our competition nearly as well as we should, or we got a pretty good idea? Uh, I think a little of both. Some okay. some competitors are more obvious than others. Mm -hmm. uh, many times a company will consider their competition companies that have a similar product or a similar service and sell it in a similar way. But what they don't realize is that customers or clients will use other methods or other other ways to achieve the result they're looking for. That that's why it's important to understand what your your customer is trying to achieve because yeah. there's multiple ways to achieve that. And it could be ways that you're not thinking of. So your competitors mm -hmm. could be companies or, or solutions that you've never even considered. So, yeah, and that's important to know so that you can position yourself as a better solution to those other options. So yeah, see that a lot, you know, your, your competitors, you know, if you're, if you're McDonald's, your competitors aren't just, you know, Burger King and Wendy's, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot more to it. So there's, yeah. you know, Direct competitors, indirect competitors, you know, there's, there's oh, different. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it could be something completely that you got, you, you really, it's not even on your radar at all. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. Yep. And it, you know, it's like, like, take your example. I, I'm, I'm McDonald's or Burger King, and I, I'm not thinking about that. Uh, some fresh home food delivery service could be taking us <laughs> out. Go. Yep. There you and go. We don't even know. And it's eating, it's starting, it's that, that little, you know, 
chunking away at the bottom that they don't know until all of a sudden it starts to really go. Right. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 That's, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I tell you, this is, this has been awesome talking to you, Tom, because there's so many things I think leaders really need to, to think about and then figure out ways to really learn about their customers so that they can look at this stuff like competitors, like we just talked, or are we selling in the right place? Are we saying the right things? It's so important that I, I, I think what you're doing is really cool. And I think it's going to, it's helping a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, it's a great feeling to be able to help for sure. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. So if someone wants to reach out to you, Tom, and get get uh, a hold of you about doing some some of this or just learning more about it. What's the best way to do that? Uh, just uh, go to the website, vedaintel.com, and just uh, there's multiple opportunities to book a call Very or good. email, yep, send an email either way. And yeah, I'm always open to chatting with anybody about you know what they're working on and and offer you know my advice and you know whether awesome. we work together or not. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much for being here today, Tom. Again, today on the Faces of Business, we had Tom Herman from Veda Intel. We're talking about customer research. We're talking about win-loss analysis. We're talking about competitive analysis. And if you didn't get to listen to the whole thing, go back to the beginning, go through some of this stuff. Tom was dropping some real nuggets here about why you may want to consider this for your business to help you be more successful. Thanks for being here today, Tom. Thank you, Damon. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, we will be back again next week, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. Tom, hang out for a moment. And we'll talk. All right. <laughs>